Hi, I'm Bob Switzer, and this is the Epic Narrative. Well, now, where did we leave off? Ah, oh, yes, that's right. We left off with David uh, going back to work after an amazing an amazing experience uh, being anointed the next king of Israel. Remember Samuel came in, had that sacrifice, the big party, the banquet, and yet in the end, David ends up in the same place, in the same place as he did before this great event, which uh, quite honestly happens to a lot of people, right? You have this uh, great experience with God and Oh, you know, you go to an event, you go to a, a camp, right? We've all, well, maybe not we've all, but, you know, I've been to camp, ran a camp, uh, had a, you know, loved it. But, you know, the, you'd have these these campfire experiences. You go throw a stick in the fire, you know, re, quote, rededicate your life to Christ, which was, <laughs> it's such a crazy way to phrase it. Uh, stay focused. Yeah, Bob, I know. This is not a. This is not a commentary on camp. We're trying to tell the story of David. All right. So you have this amazing experience, and uh, in the end, you go home. Or after the service, you get in the car and go home. And, you're, you know, it's family again, and it's life again, and it's work again, and nothing really changed. And that's the way it was with David. Nothing really changed after his big anointing, big... Um, it's a vote of confidence and and um, assurance from God that he had what it takes and he was a son of Jesse and and the whole family knew this now and the whole village knew this now and Samuel knew this everybody knew this and yet yeah, just back to work bro nothing changes but I believe David there was this is this is where the heart of David was uh, different than Saul. There was there was something in the heart of David that said that said God has God's going to have to make this happen. Like he trusted. There was an intuitive trust that God could make this happen. Uh, he had you know clearly had some crazy experiences uh, being a shepherd, uh, killing bear, killing lion, killing wolves, uh, protecting the sheep. Like this was an every not every day, but this was a, a this this he had a grid for for amazing miraculous deliverance. So I think that that in his own um, processing of what had occurred when he's back out there, as we said, I I think he communed with God on on a deep mystical level as an artist, and and God uh, had developed in him this intuitive trust that he could make it happen. I mean honestly when you're when you're out there in the field uh, on the, on the hills, you know, hillsides and valleys of uh, around uh, Bethlehem, they're like but how else can this happen? Unless God steps in, there's really no way for this to happen. Samuel couldn't make it happen. All right? Every, as much as Samuel had a role in the cabinet of Saul, he w he wasn't a part of Saul's everyday world, right? As a matter of fact, he had committed himself 
not to go, not to talk to Saul ever again. So even though he had the position of priest of the of the nation, and people probably honored that, and others didn't because he didn't he didn't take that. You know, he he did just he just didn't have that role. Okay, Bob, focus. I know, I know. You're getting stuck in the old in the in last weeks, or last. I don't know. I don't even know when we when did that one get. Uh, you don't know either. All right. I don't know. I don't know what podcast that was, but I'm stuck there. I need to I need to move on. So David's in the fields. David's doing his work. He's trusted. He's got to trust God to, to show up now. Well, meanwhile, back at the palace. Saul is uh, doing what he wants. He's leading the nation. He's uh, enacting laws, he's collecting taxes, he's gathering servants around him, um, and and that would involve, you know, uh, runners, uh, messengers being sent out to the various tribes, to the various elders of the tribe saying, you know, I, uh, I want every tribe to send, or, you know, every, every elder of the tribes to send me, you know, one of your daughters, uh, to be a servant in the palace, you know, it, it's a lot of logistics in setting up any government, um, especially when it's from scratch. They didn't have a king. He didn't take the place of a king. He's the first king. And there was a lot of pressure on him, a lot of decisions that had to be made. I'm sure at times it felt like he was micromanaging things, and other times he just wanted to give up, you know, uh, authority to somebody else to run things. I think his father probably stepped in and took care of a lot of that just because I think his father, as I as said in a previous podcast, I think his dad was a very powerful, demanding man. And I think that's why Saul struggled so much with self-rejection is because he picked up early in life that you had to be pleasing. You, you couldn't disappoint. You had to behave correctly. And whether his dad did that intentionally or not, I think Saul Saul developed a pretty strong sense that if you wanted approval, it had to come from someone else. And if you wanted uh, self-approval was never going to fully be realized because he knew himself really well. And there was always opportunity to find something wrong with yourself. So this is uh, this is an important verse in First Samuel sixteen, uh, verse fourteen. I'm reading out of the uh, New International Version. Not that I think it's the version to have. It just it's a good one. It, you can have. I, I'm not. You, you'll pick up on this I, um, as we go, but I'll just you know I'll state it. I I grew up in a King James only um, childhood. And I think the King James is is uh, you know whatever translation you have. Like I've moved, I've moved into a more open um, connections <laughs> translations and and paraphrases. And there's just so many nuances in the Hebrew language. And that's part of my part of my point that I'm going to make here is the this is the way the verse reads now the spirit of the lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the lord tormented him now you read that in the quote straight english and that just looks really uh that's disturbing that's just disturbing 
because it sounds like the Lord's playing uh, emotional games and mental games with Saul. I'm going to take my spirit away from him, and I'm going to send an evil spirit to him. So, so I'm going to I'm going to torment him and you know uh, cause him emotional and maybe even physical harm because you know he upset me, he made me mad. I'll get him back. I'll get him back for being so rude to me and and not listening to me. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him good. And and this is why I'm open to all of those things is because there's 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 um there's translational filters that you cannot avoid when you're a translator. When you interpret things you can't get out of the way. Now listen, this happens in everyday life. People people use use words to communicate and they assume that the word that they're using is this you know is interpreted the same way by the person who's hearing it. And this causes all kinds of opportunities to get to know each other because you know, you uh you say things like Hey, you know, well, well, just even like being on time, right? That's that's one that is so huge, so huge. Being on time to one person can mean comp- literally thirty minute difference to somebody else. Show starts at uh, at nine o'clock. We're gonna be there on time. Okay, awesome. Well, that person meant on time meant ten of nine. Because then you have 10 minutes before the show starts. And on time to the other person means we're pulling into the parking lot at 9. Which means we get out of the car and we walk into the building and we go to the show. Uh, we get to our seats about nine ten. Well, those two people are probably going to have an opportunity to have a conversation. Because somewhere along the line, those two definitions are going to run into each other. So, I think when people are translating, oftentimes their mindset has an impact on the words that they use to translate. It's not that they're doing a bad job. It's that they they have to make a choice because there's nuances in the language that are legitimate, but they change the way things look and sound. So if you believe that in the sovereignty of God, that all things come from him, good and evil, then you you have to give God credit for bad things happening to people, and that's a dis, that that's disturbing. And I know that 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 has driven many people away from a relationship with a loving God because they look at at verses like this and they say, "How can a loving God do that? How can a loving God send an evil spirit to torment somebody? Like that's just that's just manipulative, and it's." It's disturbing, and what kind of good father would do that to to a child? Or a father says, listen, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to spend any time with you because you made me really mad. You made me really mad. I'm really hurt. I'm hurt and offended by what you've done, so I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And, you know, I'm going to send this little... uh, this little attack dog is gonna is gonna run you around the the yard 
And anytime you try and do something, it's going to try and, and eat you. It's going to attack you. So good luck with that. Have fun. There, that'll teach you to ever offend me again. Well, listen, you can't be love and be offended. It it just it just doesn't happen. I'm not saying, oh, Bob, you really, I know, I know I jumped into this one, but I'm not saying that there aren't boundaries in love. There are, but there isn't offense. There isn't. And uh, I don't think God was offended by what Saul did. And I don't think God sent an evil spirit. Now, what I do think is that because of the choices that Saul was making, he was no longer aware of God's help. He just, he just, because I believe because of self-rejection, because of what Samuel had, he and Samuel had been through, Samuel won't come talk to him anymore. He was just at a loss. He really felt like, okay, if, if, if something's going to happen, I'm going to have to make it happen. And it, and it became a matter of, of pride, but pride is a, a form of self-rejection because it hides the fact that you're, you don't ever think you're going to measure up. And that kind of, that kind of pride, that kind of insecurity, is very tormenting. And it will, it, man, when you're alone and you feel the weight of your decisions, the, 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 you know, if he's sitting in a, in a room and it's got all of his, uh, relatives in it and they all have roles within the government and they're waiting for him to make a decision and he's thinking, oh man, I'm going to disappoint somebody. What if I make the wrong decision? What if the nation is impacted by this? I need, you know, it's my job to keep the nation safe. It's my job to find, you know, revenue uh, streams for the nation. It's my job. And that's, that'll, that'll torment you if you don't have confidence in who you are. If you don't, if you don't know the paradigm through which you make decisions, if you don't, if you can't dream and you don't have goals because you're you've you've taught yourself to keep your expectations low or or out of you know to not have expectations because they they cause disappointment and they make you feel bad about yourself and you begin to reject yourself even more like all of those things impact Saul and it impacts his ability to hear from God I've I've spoken to people like this where they say, you know, I don't hear. God doesn't talk to me. It's, uh, and and yet, as they're talking, I can see how God is is trying to talk to them. Is trying to give them words of encouragement. Is trying to show them that they're loved. But but when you don't believe in yourself, when you don't believe that God has made you into something that's amazing, when you have shut down your ability to dream with uh, to dream the way love. Love encourages you to dream. Love, man, love just expands your ability to dream because it knows that no matter what you, quote, fail at, you're always accepted and you're always loved. That's what it's like. That's what God wants you to live in. And Saul had separated himself from that. So, yes, the, quote, spirit of God had departed because Saul was no longer connected to love. On a regular basis. 
And yes, uh, an evil, quote, evil spirit had was tormenting him. What was that evil spirit? The evil spirit was the lies that he was believing. The lies that he was believing that God didn't really like him, that God had left him, that he was alone in this world, that everybody around him was just trying to destroy him. When when you feel that way, and you know, and I think I think a Saul of this in this case, right? He's feeling this way. I don't blame him for going out on the battlefield because at least there, the goal was clear, right? The goal is clear. Beat those guys. Go kill those guys. And he would. And then at least that's, you know, for 10 minutes in his life, he'd feel success. He'd feel like his, he had some sort of goal. He had some sort of purpose. He had some sort of identity. He was the king. He was the leader in the battlefield. His sons were with him. They defeated the enemy, and they could at least go back with a victory. But then he had a thousand decisions to make, and every one of them reminded him that he that he might disappoint somebody, that there were expectations upon him, that there was there were goals that needed to be reached and 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 set. Like, well, what do you want to do, King? And he'd have to tell them. But he didn't believe he didn't believe the words that he was saying, and he would probably defer to other people. Well. You know, well, Dad, what do you think we should do? And everybody would would watch this kind of thing go on, and they would they would start to doubt his leadership, and so he couldn't he couldn't show that there was there was other influences in his decision making process because if he showed the, the influences in in his decision making process, then people would doubt his leadership, and if they doubted his leadership, then he would doubt his leadership. Oh my gosh, I'm telling you, no wonder. Quote, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. It didn't come from God. It came from within. But when you believe that the only option you have with God is that he's in charge of everything, that he has no, that, you know, that, that he, that he is the puppet master, then yes, you have to, you have to believe that the, the exact phrasing of this, of this uh, verse. Or, you could believe that God and 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 his principle of freedom that love has that God is really loving in that he allows you to have the results of your choices then this is what this is what's going on See the Jewish community, much like the evangelical a lot of evangelical communities, have have this idea of God's sovereignty. Right? You either if you don't give God credit for everything, then you've taken some sort of glory from Him, or that maybe God doesn't do it. This is the second thing, but He lets the bad guys, the the enemy, the, He lets the evil one, He lets the devil come and do it for Him. And both those things were prominent and still are in the Jewish community. So as the translators are writing this, they want to make sure, I think, they're trying to say, God's in control of everything. If we if we give credit to anything else, then God is, somehow we're saying God isn't in control. And I believe that God's sovereignty oversees all decisions and all results of those decisions at all times. And and. God did not send the evil spirit, but he definitely knew that it, that it was available. 
He definitely knew that Saul had opened himself up to those things. And Saul was feeling the results of those decisions. Listen, look look at the word punishment from from uh, from the Hebrew, right? We think of the word punishment as invoking, like, you know, making people feel afraid, making them feel pain, separation, shame. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it's something you always want to avoid, right? So you, you hide your bad behavior. Um, you make sure no one knows what's going on. You want to avoid punishment. Punishment in in our selfish Western mindset is an, is a really bad thing, right? But in the Hebrew, the word is for punishment is the word avon, which you know, of course, makes me think of all kinds of funny things to to say about makeup and and hand cream. But um, basically, the word avon carries with it both what you did wrong and its consequences. So to punish someone, it comes, basically that word Avon is like a little bit of a story. It basically says, let someone sit on the crooked path. You get to quote, bear your iniquity you carry your punishment. You sit on the path that you've created. You feel the results of the decisions you've made. And that's what's happening here with Saul. He's feeling the results of the decisions he's made to not, to not maintain connection to the love and presence that God has made available to him. And I know God's made it available to him because we will we will continue <clears throat> the rest of this this chapter so Saul is tormented I do know I do know that in these in this passage a lot of people use this for um, you know for mental issues uh, that they believe Saul might have had that he uh, that Saul had some sort of uh, bipolar or schizophrenia going on, that this was a mental disorder that, and, and, you know, and that this is God exposing that others believe, you know, have taken this, this verse because God sent the evil spirit. They, they talk about the fact that, you know, that God sends evil demons to um, oppress people so that they can learn from the oppression of the enemy and, maybe turn their lives back over to him or God has completely turned his back on them and he lets them be tormented in some, I, I, again, I, it's just, it's just so counterintuitive to what I believe about God because I believe God looks like Jesus and Jesus didn't do this. So it's just really hard for me to process, but to even say it out loud, but yes, there's people who preach and teach that, you know, God uses the devil to do his bad, his evil work. Kind of like, you know, God's, God's like somebody, some kingpin in the narcos world. And, you know, he doesn't ever get caught pulling the trigger or, or blowing things up, but, you know, he gives a nod 
to his right hand man who knows, oh, okay, you know, that person's going to die. And that guy makes all the arrangements. And then somebody 15 layers away from the actual King Narcos does the de- does the evil deed and if he gets caught no you know no one can tie it back to the to the kingpin and so there's there's kind of this mindset sometimes within God that that God does that like he looks at Saul Saul made him mad and offended him and so he looks at one of his angels and he just kind of gives this nod like and doesn't actually say anything but all the arrangements are made, and then the evil demon can come down and beat up Saul whenever he wants. I don't think God operates that way, but I do believe the people who translated the scriptures did did think God operated that way, and they didn't want to give credit to anyone else but God. So there we go. The servants, it says that Saul's attendants said to him, Right. Even their mindset is this. See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Wow. Isn't it nice when people around you encourage you? (laughs) Isn't it nice when they agree with your philosophy? They're like, yeah, yeah, God, God did this. God did this to you. Absolutely. Oh, man, I'll tell you, I've heard this too, right? You sprain your ankle. Wow, what do you think God's trying to teach you? I don't know. You really think God sprained my ankle? Well, you know, he causes all, He, you know, he, he does it all. And they'll quote some New Testament verse like, he works all things for your good. Yeah, that doesn't mean he caused all things. Maybe I sprained my ankle because of a choice I made. Maybe I opened myself up to, you know, twisting my ankle when I was running, when I was jumping, when I was hiking. Maybe God didn't cause it. Oh, no, you're telling me God's not sovereign. No, I'm just saying that I have a lot of freedom and I can make choices. And sometimes I might sprain my ankle. It's not God's fault, but here's, you know, Saul's attendants are the same way. They're like, oh, Saul, God's coming after you. Let us search for someone who can play the lair, which is an instrument. Basically, let's get us, let's get a really good musician in here. And when he will play and the evil spirit from God comes on you and you'll feel better man alive yeah like i uh this is crazy i mean honestly they're looking at this and this is the this is their solution god's sending you an evil spirit so we're gonna find somebody who plays really good music because when you worship when the evil spirit from god comes upon you and you worship god then the evil spirit from God will depart from you because you'll be worshiping the God who sent the evil spirit to begin with. Like this, this just doesn't make any, I mean, I, I know it doesn't make sense and I don't mean to, I don't want to be mocking of them, but it's, it's one of those things where when you break down what people are actually saying, it doesn't make sense. And that's what I'm trying to do. 
even in this story. Like it's really e easy to read this story and say, look at, see that clearly God's sending the bad, the, the demon to oppress Saul. And, and his servants are like, hey, let's find somebody who plays really good music so that you'll feel better when, when the evil spirit comes. So that they're, you know, that the staff, the royal staff is trying to contain the damage that's happening to Saul. They need Saul to make decisions. They need Saul to, to lead the nation. And when Saul becomes so, um, spiral, he just starts to spiral into these, into these self-doubt, self-rejection, um, depression, uh, disappointment, frustration, anger. It's, he just doesn't get out of it because he feels the weight of, of everything, right? So he's just pacing. He's upset. He's, he's feels, uh, it's all negative. Let me just put it, I was going to give a list of negative emotions. He just, he's just feeling all negative and they need him to lead. They need him to be king. They need him to not, you know, stay locked in a room, wherever that room was, uh, bathroom, bedroom, royal chamber of some sort. He just, they need him to come out. So they're like, listen, why don't we find somebody who can play good music? And it'll soothe you. It'll make you feel better. And then you can basically get on with life. They're, they're just trying to contain damage. They're trying to move the nation forward. They've got to make something happen. You can kind of, you know, see the, the scuttlebutt around the, around the palace. Like, well, Saul's in one of his moods. Like, what do you want us to do? Well, where is he? I, 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 I mean, he's in his room. Well, when is he coming out? We need a decision. Well, uh, you know, sometimes he's in there for a while. Oh, you know, and the frustration. Because things back then, it wasn't like they could just make another phone call, right? Somebody travels somewhere, some elder, some messenger from somewhere travels to the palace. They send a message. They bring a, they bring something that uh, that Saul requested, and now Saul isn't available to to receive it. Saul isn't available to make the decision. Saul isn't available to approve something that's that's uh, been presented. And I don't know. I don't think this happened daily. I think this probably happened. Well, I don't know. A lot of times depression happens in a rhythm. People, you know, every every so often when they see certain things or do certain things, it just, they, you know, they, it, it's, it's a trigger, right? That's what the, that's what, that's what we call it. A trigger. They get triggered. So I don't know when that, what that trigger point was for Saul, but his servants, his, his Royal staff was like, okay, we, we need to try and fix this. Well, Saul doesn't like being in that place, right? He doesn't like being in a depression. So he says, yes, find somebody who plays well and bring them to me. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. So this is the first way. This is the first path that, that comes for David. Verse 18, one of the servants answers. So one of the royal staff. When you see servants, I know sometimes you think slaves, right? We get we get the slave mentality, especially here in America, because that was an unfortunate uh, 
not unfortunate. It was evil. It was a horrible past, a horrible thing that we have in our past, right? But that's what we think. We think of slaves being beaten. We we think of them being, you know, mistreated, um, not viewed as equals and uh, uh, equal in value uh, to God or to anyone else. It would have been a, it would have been different when you see that word servant as a as a Hebrew servant in in the Hebrew palace. You would it's more the idea of staff. These are employees. These are these are young uh, women and and young men who have been assigned to serve the king. And it usually came with a time period. It was kind of like um, it was almost like being an intern. So they would have come from all over the country. From every tribe would have sent a certain number of staff to the royal palace. So one of them says, "Oh, I know this guy. I know this guy. He's uh I love this. I've seen a son of Jesse in Bethlehem." Yeah. So the servants know who David is. I love that. I love that the that the staff, those who those who David lived with, those who David was raised with, they knew him to be the son of Jesse. They knew that Samuel had come and anointed him as a son of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. They knew that that you know that God had in essence approved or or um, agreed that David was a son of Jesse. And even though Jesse sent his son back out into the field and pretended like nothing happened, so to speak, the servants knew, the the the, the family staff knew. He's the son of Jesse. So I've seen a son of Jesse who knows how to play the lair. Oh, man. He's amazing. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well. He's good looking. And God is with him. Now, that's a, that's a heck of a resume right there. Holy smokes. I mean, I mean, I... I I, I read something like that and I think, wouldn't that be awesome? Like that's how you're remembered by the people that you've worked with. Remember, this is coming from a from a young man or woman who's on royal staff, who had probably been on staff, maybe even in Jesse's household. But if not in Jesse's household, he was on staff or or one of the sons or daughters of a of an elder in Bethlehem. But he knew David, and this is how he describes him. I mean, this is this is awesome. Talented. He's a talented musician. He's brave. The stories of his of his um exploits defending the sheep were well known. And a warrior. In other words, he is somebody who who understands right and wrong. He understands justice and righteousness. He speaks well, probably because his mother taught him how to read and write so that he could be into uh, articulate. And he's dang good looking. Jesse's sons were good looking boys. And, and David has some really good looking kids too. Like I said, I, oh, I didn't look that up. I meant to look up. That uh, the name of that group of people from Game of Thrones. <laughs> I can see them, man. The dark hair, uh, the the 
they hung out with the with the the dragon queen. Oh man, that's a story. Anyways, so Saul sends messengers to Jesse. Send me David, your son David, in this awesome, who is with the sheep. Send me your son David. Whoa, that had to be a nice little poke in the poke in the nose from uh, from Saul to Jesse. Of course, Saul didn't know he was he was upsetting Jesse when he did this. He just he just was like, oh, all right. Well, go get him. Now, it wasn't like a personal note from Saul. It would have been. Go get him. You know who he is. Go get him. So the royal staffs, you know, sends a messenger. Maybe maybe this person goes, but they go and they go to Jesse and they're like, Saul wants David, the one who watches the sheep. He wants him at the palace. Now, Jesse doesn't, I mean, he, he really has no opportunity to fight this because it's from Jesse's perspective, he's just a servant. He's just a guy who watches sheep, so I can afford another one. So Jesse takes a donkey. He loads it up with bread and a big jug of wine and a young goat, and he sends him uh, with uh, David to Saul. Now, why would he need all that stuff? Well, when you went into the service of the king, this, the, you were also responsible for your own food. Your family or the family from which you came to serve the king you, they were responsible to feed you. And that was true even when, like, if you went into the army, like, and you were out in battle, your family was responsible to send food. So he would have brought this food, not, you know, he didn't have like a locker where he kept it, but he would bring it and he would have turned it into the guy in charge of all the food, not the cook, although he knew where it was, but that's how the king would replenish all of his stores is all of his servants. Their families would have to send, in essence, money. I mean, today we would have done like a money transfer, so to speak. Uh, it would be like going to camp. I'm going to go work at camp, but it's going to cost me, right? I need to raise support uh, because the camp needs to house me and feed me for the next 10 weeks. So I need, you know, I, I need to send some money ahead of me. That's that's the kind of mindset that this is. And that's how David came to Saul and entered in, you know, entered into his service. Saul liked him a lot. And he became quote one of his armor bearers. So David's called on, right? And as a servant, he, like I said, he brings his own food. Saul uh, likes what's going on around him. He likes the atmosphere that David has. He he likes the music that David plays. He likes the lyrics that David sings. He he wants David to be a regular. That doesn't mean that he saw Saul a lot. It, well, he was one of his armor bearers. It was that was like an honorary position. It was like. It was like something he would just bestow on people so that they would have a title so that they could be around the palace. It's kind of like getting a guest, you know, like getting a visitor's pass. You get to keep it. You can come visit anytime. You can walk in anytime. That's what uh, David got when he said, okay, he's going to be one of my armor bearers. He now has a reason 
to be in the palace when when I need him. But it wasn't he wasn't like standing next to Saul. He didn't he didn't hold Saul's sword or his or his uh shield. He just uh he had an excuse, he had a reason, he had a title uh to be available to Saul whenever he, whenever he was called upon. So in this uh in this position like I said the access of, of David would have been there. Now he Saul sends, you know, a word to Jesse. He's like allow David to remain in my service for I like, you know, I like him. I like having him around. What did he like about him? Well, he said whenever the spirit of Again, like the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lair and play and relief would come to Saul and he'd feel better and the, quote, evil spirit would lead him. So this is, this is again, like if, if you break this down, it's literally God fighting against God, right? If If you read it, quote, what the word of God says, if you don't spend the time to actually understand what's trying to be communicated here, you you start to think that God literally sends the evil spirit and then he sends David as a as a twisted way to put David in the palace and to give him access to Saul so that he can be trained in the leadership of the country without without Saul knowing that that David is actually God's man for the neck for the for the job and then so then David plays and God sends a you know his spirit down to the evil spirit and tells the evil spirit to leave. So Saul's like, oh, I feel so much better. And then he spends time with David and David's his armor bearer and he trains David and David's able to hear and see all that's going on in the palace. And like you have this whole like weird God fighting against himself, like and and literally moving people around like like puppets or quote, you know, uh, uh pieces of uh chess pieces on on a chessboard pawns and knights and kings and it's uh, it's just it's just not it's just not a, it's not the way love behaves it's not the way Jesus behaved so it's not the way God behaves so what we see here is that when David David plays when David's in the room when David's available the words he sings and the way that he plays, right? He shifts the atmosphere. He reminds Saul of God's goodness. He reminds Saul of God's love. That is a place where Saul probably, uh, I would, well, I would say Saul feels himself. He feels most at home in the presence of God, which I think is why God called him to be king to begin with. Because when Saul worships, when he connects with God, he's a completely different person. He's he's who God made him to be, which is not unusual when pe- people are in the presence of God. And, and what God wants to be, right, is he wants to say, listen, this is where you can live. Experiences like this are meant to be the on-ramp to a highway, to a lifestyle. They're not designed to be individual events that only occur occasionally. So David calls out God's goodness. He calls out God's love. He reminds Saul of who he is. He reminds Saul of how God sees him. And it's not that David's singing these words to to Saul. It's not like, you know, Saul, you're a wonderful man. God loves you, blah, 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 blah. No, he's singing about 
God. He's singing about God's goodness and his love and his, and his, um, his defense, the way that God defends the innocent, the way that he, the way that he defends, uh, brings justice to unjust situations. He, he sings about life in the fields. He sings about the, the beauty of nature. He sings about all of God's creation. These are things that just allow Saul to rest in the presence of God. And when that happens, the love of God in David drives the fear of man out of Saul. Wow. Think about that. The love of God in David drives the fear of man out of Saul every time. And that's what we get to do too. The love of God in us literally will can drive the fear of man out of other people. But we have to be in that place where we live in the love of God. And a lot of people don't. We, like Saul, have so convinced ourselves that we're not worthy of God's love that we don't live there. We don't, we don't maintain access to what God's made available to us. And we... We become depressed and we be, we start rejecting the idea of God loving us. We start being in a place where we think, oh, you know, I'll never get through this. Oh, bad things always happen to me. Oh, God must be, quote, punishing me. No, like, no, none of that's true. But, but I do under, like, like, I do understand. I understand that so many people make a theology that fits their experience versus, versus having a theology and saying, all right, I don't care what my experience is. This is what's true. And what I know that's true about God is that God is love. And love doesn't love doesn't behave like that. Love doesn't put an evil spirit on you in order to prove a point or to punish you. We go back to what I said earlier, right? Punishment was the idea that that you know, you sit in the path that you created. You you bear the, the, the weight of your own decisions, but that doesn't mean that God's goodness isn't there, and it doesn't mean that his presence isn't, isn't there. He's in you. He's never going to leave you. You can always access him, and that's what David reminded Saul. God hasn't left you. His love is still with you. He still thinks you're awesome. He still calls you his anointed. You are still the king of Israel. He knows that you can do this. He trusts your wisdom. He trusts your authority. He trusts your leadership. That's why he put you here. And again, I don't think David was actually singing those words, but the presence of God would, would remind Saul of this, and he would arise and feel better. Yeah, he'd feel better because he could then make the decisions that needed to be made. He could come out of the room. He'd come out of the room and and he could approve what needed to be approved and he he could he he'd have creative uh, solutions to problems that had occurred. You do know the word creative. To be creative is is from the word wisdom. It's a form of wisdom. And a lot of you know a lot of times people think, well, you know, you're just you're just creative. Yeah, it means you're really wise. It means you have an access to it to a, to an aspect of God's wisdom that that brings solutions 
Creative people are all over the place. The wisdom of God is all over creativity. And and Saul would have access to that when he was when David was done playing, so to speak. <laughs> and again, I don't think I don't think David was like sitting across the the room looking at Saul and saying, "Hey, Saul, thanks for inviting me in today. I think uh, you know I wrote this little ditty while I was sitting in the servants' quarters." Hey, Saul. Um, you know this next song, <laughs> like like some sort of internet, like some sort of internet cafe, right? Hey, tonight, come here. Some little coffee shop deal. No, he probably played. Um, he would play in a large room. Saul would. Uh, there might have been a window to that room that Saul would hear the music come from. Uh, there might have been curtains separating them. It wasn't like David and Saul were arm in arm. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like a lot of people wanted to be. Um, but evil always departed because that's what happens. Fear disappears when love shows up. Light always beats darkness. And David would, would remind Saul of the light. He would turn the lights on and the darkness would disappear. And that's what happened when David played. Well, it's just it's just a perfect place to end, I think, because it's the end of uh, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. So I think we'll call it a day. And uh, I hope you guys are having a fabulous time out there. And as always, feel free to contact me. You can email me. Uh, you can uh, go on uh, Facebook and check out, you know, other thoughts that I've had about a variety of subjects. They don't go near as long as my podcast. And I hope you guys have a fabulous day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Epic Narrative. If you have questions for Bob or would like to reach out for booking, please email us at thebobswitzer at gmail.com or visit thebobswitzer.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Epic Narrative Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. See you next week for another chapter in our story on The Epic Narrative.